you have to be true to who you are. Mm-hmm. If, in my opinion, if you're going to find peace and joy in this life, um, there's nothing wrong with making compromises for a greater goal later. You know, the best strategists know that sometimes you sacrifice now for a true victory later. Mm-hmm. Oprah talks about this with the Me Too movement. One lady said, you know, it's easy for you to say this and to stand like this because you have everything that you need. But if I talked to my bosses like this or demanded this level of respect, I would be fired. And Oprah said, well, yeah, when I first started, I had to take it. When I was in my 20s, I just took it. And in my 30s, I took it a little less. And in my 40s, a little less. But I knew I was building and growing uh, to the point where one day I would be able to say enough and corporations would buckle. Um, so she was playing, you know, a long-term strategy. And so I would just say, you have to know what heels you're willing to die on today and what's important to you right now. Welcome to Boss Logs. And today you are listening to the next episode from our pilot series. And this one is a conversation that happened last year with Kareem Manuel. And... You know, while this conversation happened last year, I think that this is the perfect follow-up to our last episode where I spoke about the protest and shared a message from Tupac. And um, if you haven't listened, please go ahead and check that out. It's episode number three. But it's the perfect follow-up because in today's episode, we speak to Kareem about how his company started from a desire to unite and empower us all. Uh, We also go into a deep discussion about mental health and knowing when to stay true to yourself. Oh, and uh, one last thing I wanted to add, Um, I'm partnering with a company called Inclusion, a tech startup that is creating a freelance marketplace and job board for underrepresented professionals. And they're actually getting ready to host their very first networking event, and it's all virtual. So I'll tell you a little bit more about it um, about halfway through the episode. But for now, I hope you enjoy learning more about Kareem and his company, We Society. Hello world, I'm your host Walter Gaynor II and I would like to welcome you to Boss Locks. Boss Locks is a media company founded to redefine professionalism by encouraging diversity, inclusion, and also proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Today I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Kareem and well. Kareem, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. I feel real good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for having me. All right. So, for those who don't know, Kareem is an entrepreneur, artist, creative, and founder of We Society. Started it with just a couple dollars in a phone and built into this global social enterprise that's kind of uniting and empowering us all. So, Kareem, I have a bunch of questions to ask you, and I really want to dive into everything. But before I do, I want to ask you, uh, what are three things that most people don't know about you? Um... I don't know. I'm pretty open. Uh, I don't think people know that I did not go to college. Did not um, go to college. So I don't have any type of formal degrees, although I love and believe in education. Uh, people don't know um, that my boys, I have two boys. They are 10 or 9 and 7. Um, so I had my first child when I was 23 and my last when I was 25. And I'm about I'm about to be 33. Um, and for better or worse, some people can't tell that I'm in my thirties. <laughs> um, <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, 
I did not start with any um any outside investments or uh you know help from families. This is all just trying to play the game and 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 smart moves. I I mean since I've started I've I've taken some, but when we started I just started with 250 bucks and um I started it because or, or it came as an offshoot of something I was trying to make to go with some music I was producing and that's how this clothing brand social uh enterprise was born hmm that's powerful those are definitely three things that i'll say i personally don't know about you but yeah. that's, that's, wow, that's crazy so let's dive into each of them like what you said about you did not go to college but you love education yes um so my first question with that is was there a particular reason why you didn't go to college oh uh, yeah it was too expensive mm-hmm that is I'll say I did go to college. I was blessed with a soccer scholarship, but one thing I always saw was people who maybe started off but weren't able to finish because they just got to too much, or yep. like a lot of people just don't necessarily have access to that education. So um, that's that. I think that's like a universal thing. It's um, it's crazy. I like that's something that's stopping a lot of people from getting pursuing education. But um, for you, your love of education, do you still? find ways to kind of teach yourself or classes to take? Like how, oh, absolutely. How yeah. So, you know, with school, the issue was it cost too much. And then the amount of debt that I would have to finish, even with, you know, some of the scholarships I got to some of the schools that I could have gone to. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I think that for many of us who would be, you know, first or second generation college attendees, um, you know, I don't think true education is learning how to memorize information, mm. um, which is what I feel like school here. Oh, hold on one second. Sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. Um, is what I feel like school here uh, advocates for. Um, just, you know, remembering what the teacher taught you. I uh, definitely want to learn and grow. And I think with the invention and access of YouTube and Google and public libraries, mentors, there are always ways to learn. So I continue to study and sharpen and hone my craft, both as a, a entrepreneur and businessman, as a, a fashion designer, as a parent. Um, there are just so many resources and tools out there for me to um, actually learn things I'm interested in and deeply passionate about, as well as uh, things I just need to learn because I, I need to get better at them in terms of like right now I'm learning and growing in my uh, ability uh, to keep my books and accounting and, and how to pick the right ones, learning about trust law, you know, all this information is out there. I just didn't feel like, you know, graduating with a debt that I might spend the rest of my life trying to pay off was uh, the wisest investment. Mm-hmm. Not to not to attack anybody that did go to school. Um, again, everybody's on their path. I think it's important to do what makes you feel powerful, what makes you feel safe, what makes you feel comfortable to, you know, uh, move and react in this life. And so there are people who thrive after going to school. It just wasn't for me. Right. You know, I always like to say, I feel like there's a million ways to make a million dollars. And yeah. one way might work for one person and then it might not work for that other person. And you're right that kind of debt is something I feel like a lot of people don't take into consideration. One, just not worried about it or two, just don't know enough about it. So they kind of get into that situation without uh, 
finding some stuck. So I, um, I think it's amazing you kind of assess that and were able to make a decision that worked best for you. And um, it's interesting you mentioned kind of YouTube and finding different ways to learn what you need to, especially with entrepreneurism, because um, I was on your page, I believe it was you, who and you shared a post by someone named Rashawn Williams, who's a venture capitalist. Yep, yep. Yep, man. How, so t- tell me about, like, why do you follow him? So I'm, um, I'm a member of an organization called The Gathering Spot here in Atlanta, and it's been incredible. It's a bunch of um, just progressive thinkers, entrepreneurs, career-minded folks. Um, it's Black-owned. And he and the CEO, who is 27 to 28, Ryan, were having a discussion on investments and Blacks um, in America and the different types of investment and how uh, little we are involved in true investments of companies, um, you know, like Lyft and Uber and Airbnb or art and things like that. And so I started following him because he helps a lot of athletes and entertainers who, you know, find their way into potentially generationally transforming wealth, but then have no idea what to do with it because um, nobody's ever shown them or taught them. And again, you know, going back to how am I educated, is listening to people like him who are extremely educated, who have helped, you know, he he's worked with Nas, who if you've watched Nas's investments and things like mm-hmm. Ring and some of his television investments and things like that have been doing extremely well. He worked, I mean, he works with a lot of people and he gives all of this really, really powerful information for free right on his Instagram. Um, you know, and so I follow him because I, I try to curate my life to uh, things and people that invest in myself and in my dreams and in my vision that help make me sharper and help make me better or help inspire me to keep going and keep the fight going. And he's one of those people that do all three. Man, that's an endorsement. That is an endorsement. I will say also his Instagram page, like I, I jumped on it because you shared a post that meant about mentorship and kind of checking in, but um, I went to his page and ended up spending like 15 minutes just going through, like taking notes, basically. And you're right. It's a prime example of resources out there, education they might not even get in college, just learning how to go about um, maybe conducting yourself, personal investments and business investments as well. That's so. Um, and the gathering spot. I know that's actually very big in Atlanta. It's a Black-owned co-working space. How, how did you get into that? Um, I just found out about it on, uh, I think Instagram. I honestly don't remember, you know, the, um, TK, who is the chief operating officer, I believe, and co-founder of the gathering spot heard about me and started reaching out to me on IG and was like, man, you gotta sign up. You gotta be a member like for a year that if you sign up before you're 30, um, there's a, you get like a, a half off basically, but I just wasn't financially in a place to be able to do it before then. So I signed up after my 30th birthday. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, if you're, if you're trying to do things in Atlanta, eventually uh, you're going to find out about the gathering spot. And it is, I mean, it is the spot to be in my opinion. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
Very cool. Now I want to dive a little more into um, kind of professional in a second, but I want to go back to uh, you mentioned you have two boys. Um, one when you were you said twenty two was your first child. Yep. Yeah. How did becoming a father at um, kind of a young age? How did that did that change anything for you? Oh, everything. Um, just because it's like your uh, your view or your vantage point is so small, but you think you know everything. And I'm talking about myself, right? Um, mm-hmm. You think you know the world and how it works, what's important, what you're willing to do or not do, all of these things. And then you create life and you're blessed to be able to create a life that you are responsible for to help teach and train, keep safe, put on a path or trajectory to be able to, um, you know, hopefully accomplish more, achieve more, and, and not necessarily achievements in the way we think of achievements, but whatever they want in their life to just have more resource, ability, time, network, all these things to, to be better, safer, uh, happier, um, all these things. And so it just helped expand my heart, my capacity, my thought process, what I was willing to do, the hours I was willing to put in, uh, because I, I, I say all the time, they didn't ask to be here. Um, mm. You know, I brought them here, you know, we, uh, with their mother, brought them into existence. And I asked them all the time, like, do you still enjoy existing? Um, do you still enjoy being alive? Uh, and it's not my job to make them happy, but it is my responsibility and role as their father, I believe, to help put them in the best positions to find their purpose, um, to attain happiness and, and, and joy and peace, um, to discover themselves, and then to be able to take whatever ideas and passions that they have, that they can put their hands to and actually begin to accomplish them in this life. One of the most damaging and hurtful things, I think, uh, is when you feel like you have all this greatness inside you, you have all these thoughts, you have all these things you want to do. And because of where you're born or what color you are or any of those type of things that have nothing to do with you that other people create, you are restricted and blocked. Um, And that passion that I have to kind of help remove all barriers from them expressing uh, themselves pushes me greatly. Man, that... That's a parenting pro tip, asking your children if they're still... If they're still happy to exist. And what... Yeah. When did you start asking them that? Uh, well, as soon as they could communicate, really. Um, really? So my son, my first son, Nathan, he started walking in nine months and talking in like a year and a half. And around then, I would just say, hey, man, you you still love being alive? And, you know, he couldn't answer. He didn't understand it. But I just saw my ask all the time. And as he mm-hmm. became more aware, it's led to some really, really profound conversations. Same with my second son, Maddie, who didn't talk until he was about three or four, but he's a deep, deep thinker and communicator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always just been really real with them and able to speak to them. Uh, and so they will share with me uh, just really the deepness of their heart and stuff they're thinking about and going through. And they're some of the happiest kids I've ever met. But I think it's because they felt seen and cared for since they were brought here um, that they don't feel like they have to hide, at least not from us. Hmm. Man, I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you shared that, especially like in this day and age where um, I'm glad this being a bigger topic, mental health, but um, that's that's kind of something I personally haven't heard many people talk about when speaking to your children, just blatantly asking, are you still um, happy to be alive? Are you still 
loving yourself. That's very important. Do you um follow? So you see, say you start when they were very young. I think that was you said seven, nine. Seven, yeah, yeah, so. yep. Man, man. So what was? I guess in your own life, have you had to deal with any mental health? Um, oh my god! Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I uh, I've been going to therapy for two and a half years now, counseling, whatever you call it. Um, uh, I. Mm, I always get wary about this part of the story because I want to focus on myself and not mm -hmm. other people or ideas. But I will say um, I was a very, very, very devout Christian, I guess, and became a pastor at a very young age um, mm. and feel... Uh, as one thing, I also come from the hood of Chicago and was raised by a mother who's from the Caribbean and a father who's from uh, the streets of New York. And so there are all these different things at play in terms of my identity as a black man, but not being black enough because I pronounced my words too clearly or read like I was white, as kids in my class would say, um, mm. versus... Uh, what the church said was acceptable and allowable to do and some of the ideas that they had. Um, and so I had all these identities clashing and I believed, I I made some belief choices. Um, again, I won't say it was a cult, but the way and the level to which I believed in it was a cult or very cult-like. Um, and waking up as they say um becoming aware of the oppression um and struggles of my people in this land and who is uh largely responsible for that and my acceptance and help of them to continue you know these structures to thrive definitely caused a lot of um mental and emotional anguish. I, went, I was 30 years old, basically, and I, I woke up and realized that my life to that point had been following a program, had been following uh, a guidebook. I was trying to do the right thing and be the right person and make the right choices and checking off these boxes. Um, mm -hmm. But my body, my life was letting me know that I, I was not in line with myself. Um, and the work it took to detox from those harmful thought patterns, harmful relationships, whether they were intentional or not, because a lot of times we don't know. You know, I talk to, you know, especially black parents um, who are following, in my opinion, a slave's mentality on how to rear children because it is now part of our culture. Um, and it's like these parents love their children 1,000%. But the culture of what it means to raise their children, I think, is very harmful uh, and tra and traumatic. Uh, and so I've been going to therapy just to deal with all those type of things, like basically creating a new culture that honors and affirms and celebrates uh, my African heritage or uh, the sh being Black in America, but rejects the toxicity and the trauma of Black life. Um, in this country, uh, which comes with a lot of separation and people thinking you think you're better than them or 
I mean, a lot of different things. And so all that to say, yes, I've been going to therapy for a while. I've seen tremendous growth and changes in my own personal happiness and peace, but it has not been without tremendous sacrifice and a lot of hard work. Hmm. Man, that, that's very powerful. I think, um, I know personally I've been considering therapy just for, because I think of it as any chance for personal development I'm going to consider is always going to be kind of the next step better than uh, who I am today. Yeah. But that's very, um, I'm going to applaud you and kind of acknowledging or that you may need to try it out in your own life. Because I think um, everything you just mentioned, that's kind of a daily struggle for a lot of people. And it does become just adding the stress on top of stress and all these things to consider um, really adds to that mental weight that could just really keep you down. Um, so what, was there kind of like a breaking point that led you to therapy or how did you, yeah, man. Like what made you take that step? Um, I'm trying to remember back. I guess I'll say I'm the oldest of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been, you know, riding the bus home from elementary school with my sisters and having to make sure they did their homework and, you know, get ready for bed and stuff since about fifth or sixth grade. Um, I, I honestly just felt, what is the best way I can say this? I felt like I had reached the end of myself, right? Mm. The the lenses I I saw life through, the way I saw the world, I had reached the cap of what that could be. But I felt like inside I was much more capable than I was currently existing. And for some people, you know, they find God and God helps them get to the next level. And some people find the love of their life or whatever it is. I had all those things technically and was like this, again, this can't be it for me. It isn't about Mm -hmm. anybody else. It's Kareem and who I am and what I want. And also seeing the negative outcomes of the thought patterns that I had. I say it like if I'm trying to grow an apple tree, but every time it's harvest, you know, green beans are growing. I can't just keep screaming at the ground and being like, oh, why are you doing this? It's like, I'm planting the wrong thing. I'm doing something wrong. And that's how I felt in my life, that I kept hoping for one thing and investing for one outcome. And then other outcomes happened and they were consistently not what I wanted. And I said, what can I do? How can I change this outcome and I realized that the only answer really was me. I had to be different. I had to be healthy, that the toxic situations I found myself in were a reflection and an indication of where I was, uh, uh, not anybody else. Um, And so if I wanted better in this life, I had to be better. Uh, I was 250 pounds. I have struggled with my weight. Uh, for the last uh, 11 years, I was always a really, really skinny kid, pretty athletic. I played soccer in high school, but after high school, uh, I got married, started, you know, taking on life and blah, blah. And I just kept ballooning, even though I was eating what everybody said was a healthy and balanced diet. I had, I developed prediabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I was taking uh, 
you know, between five and seven medications every day. Um, and the doctors wanted to give me a shot every week for the rest of my life to deal with my severe allergies that I had developed, never had allergies in my life. And then all of a sudden I'm allergic to outside. And, uh, I found somebody named Dr. Sebi who talked mm. about, uh, how, uh, blacks and people of African descent should eat. And he, you know, he called it alkaline living. And I, I was in a space where I was with, everything was on the table, everything, of my life was on the table to be assessed and analyzed. And so I said, you know what, I'll try it. I don't know if, if he's full of shit. I don't know if, um, I don't know this person from a can of paint, but the way I'm currently going isn't working and I don't know what I'm doing. So I tried it for a day, uh, it was fine. Five days in, I felt the best I had ever felt in my life. And I was like, oh, this is for me. And as I continue to eat, in an alkaline way, in a clean way, I felt like a fog lifting over my mind. And I said to myself, if I could be this unhealthy physically and think that this is just everyday life, I wonder mentally where I am and spiritually. And so I started going to therapy and it's been one of the greatest decisions of my life. And it was around that time I started this company. It's like everything kind of came oh, around wow. the same time. Wow, things really just lined up. Centers where you start taking those uh, steps forward, everything else starts to line up. That's yep. that's beautiful. Now, Doctor Sebi, let's since you mentioned that, I first heard about Doctor Sebi last year on an interview Nipsey Hussle did, or some piece Nipsey Hussle. Yep. And um, he was talking about he's going to do a. He was working on some type of film project too. Yeah, he's really gonna do a documentary about it. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, with in your life specifically, when you started following Doctor Sebi, what were some of the things you started changing about your diet? Um, I cut out all animal products. Oh, um, really? Yeah, just no animal products at all. Uh, and then I started eating off his food list because, you know. I'm not trying to get all into conspiracies and was Nipsey killed. I don't, you know, what's mm -hmm. sad about our society is that so many possibilities. Uh, it could have just been jealousy, hatred, you know, whatever. Uh, Dr. Sebi, if you don't know about him, uh, was sued by the government for claiming that he cured AIDS. He went to court, the Supreme Court of New York, and defended himself and won the case that he did, in fact, cure AIDS. He had over 77 patients step forward. Um, and he has this list and this idea, his theory is as best as I can articulate it is if God or whatever consciousness has created us and put uh, and created all things and put them in habitats that are conducive for them. So a polar bear is living in an environment that is good for a polar bear and has the food that a polar bear eats. If you take that polar bear out of its environment and out of its uh, natural food source and put it somewhere else, it could live okay for a while. If you put it in where grizzly bears live and eat, for example, it could possibly live for a little bit, but it would not be living at its optimal level. And he argues that humans are the same way and that black and brown normally come from tropical uh, jungle type areas or desert, you know, sun areas with foods that are good for our blood um that alkaline our blood that make our blood electric 
and that we are currently eating things that make our blood and our bodies acidic and full of mucus, which is why we have to take Pepto-Bismol and antacids and lactose pills and all these things, all these medicines and pills and potions to eat the food, or we just, you know, our, you know, our bodies just balloon and we're overweight and we can't sleep and have all these problems that we just think are part of getting older, uh, that he argues is not the case. We're just not living and eating in a way that's good for us. And so all that to say, I ate foods off this alkaline food list and I definitely felt, I mean, night and day difference for my body. And in 30 days, I had lost 30 pounds. Um, wow. And then, you know, 60 days was like another 30. And, and at the end of five months, I was 100 pounds lighter. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Man, for anyone listening, look up Dr. Sebi's alkaline food list. And also it's a Breakfast Club interview where Nipsey Hussle was speaking on um, um, the documentary on Dr. Sebi. Yep. Man, so, hmm. I have to circle back to kind of um I, I like what you put like bringing up like the polar bear is in the right environment has a food he needs but we need to kind of get the food that's right for our environment that's interesting it's going to be a new personal project of mine oh yeah now, uh, yeah man now another question I want to ask you I'm speaking of Nipsey Hustle and just music in general maybe wrong but were you a um, artist? I was. I released two solo albums uh, and two group albums in my time. Um, and I got to tour and do a lot of cool things. And yeah, I had a really good time as an artist. I still feel, I still say I am an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the soul of an artist. My art has just changed from music uh, to clothes at the moment. That's true. I feel like once you're an artist, you never really stop being an artist. Just what you create may be a little different. Yep. All right. So, was Citizen Collective was that your group? It, uh, it was one of my groups. Yeah. One of the groups. Man, that's really cool. I started to listen to a few tracks. That was that was really dope. And it's interesting. Like, um, when were you heavier into music? Uh, I say my last project, my last solo album, came out in 2012 or 2013. And my last mm-hmm. group project, I think, was 2014. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, when I did the We Society, uh, or when I came up with the We Shirt, I was working on a project I was hoping to release in, like, 2016. I thought it was going to be, like, my comeback project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I made the shirt and saw just how powerful it was, and when I started writing out, like what I wanted to do with it and what I hope would become of it, it took over as a life of its own and became what I was doing. And I, I, I haven't really made any music since then. Wow. So We Society originally was just a shirt kind of to help promote the music? Yeah, I had a song I wrote called Power. Power. Um, and like the hook was like, everybody out here want, looking for the power. They don't want to hear you. They'll key you for the power. Uh, and then I get to the mm. part of the second part of the hook. It's like, but look at right, look at right here. Who got the, who got the power? We got the, we got the power. Uh, and I, I just kept saying like, we got the power, we. Um, and the shirt was supposed to tie into that. Like we, we are the ones we're waiting for. We are the answer. Um, 
and that message is still ringing, but it was uh, but it's being expressed in a different a different mode or a different way. That's awesome. I, that's really cool. I feel like a lot of I hear a lot of stories of founders of these great companies where it maybe wasn't necessarily the original mission, but it kind of came into that, evolved into something bigger than they originally planned. That's that's really cool. And um, and you know what? I I think I saw a video where you posted up and basically said um, you had put the clothes online and went to check to see how much you had sold, not really having any clue or any idea, and he found out that you had actually sold out of everything. Yeah. It was, man, that, well, congratulations on that. That's a really big achievement. But also, was that kind of the turning point where you realized, like, okay, I need to, like, really dive into this? No, it was, I knew, I, I had decided that, um, Almost right away. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. When I saw the shirt and I produced the shirt, like I had one in my hand, mm-hmm. I knew. Again, because it wasn't just the shirt. It was what I was thinking, what I was writing, the energy, the passion. Like I said, I I, I had felt so disconnected from myself and mm-hmm. following all these other people's ideas. I've, I've been reading about Malcolm X a lot during his transition when he left the nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody tried to challenge him and he said... Before I was sharing ideas that came from the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, everything he said and he wanted. Now I'm thinking with my own mind, sir. And that's what it felt like for me. And so when I saw it, when I'm writing down these ideas of what it can be, I built the website myself um, and everything kind of was just like flowing naturally, like just out of me. I said, oh, no, I make clothes now. And this, you know, this is what it's going to do. And I just knew if I could just, and I said, every day I'm going to do what I can to move this company and this idea forward. Every single day, I'm going to push this ahead. Um, And so, yeah, that's where, that's where I'm at. That's dope, man. So let me get this straight. You made the shirt, you designed the shirt. Did you make the shirt yourself as well? Uh, I mean, kind of, I had to pay a company to do it, but Mm -hmm. yeah. He uh, did the website, did it all. It's really self-started. It's impressive. So how has We Society kind of changed your life from that conception when you first held that shirt and realized you had something to kind of this point where we're speaking now? Well, I mean, things happen along the way. Like, you know, the first month we did five and then the next month we did five. And moving you along. Five what? You said five, five shirts. Yeah. Sure. All right. Yeah. So the first year, 2017, I only sold the one black Wii shirt. And people said I need to offer more colors or I need to, you know, do this. And I said no, because I wanted to learn everything I could about this shirt and making it for the cost and all the stuff about the business, how to ship it, how to get the best shipping rates. It was like I'm learning every aspect of the business. How do I package it? How do I get it to the customer? How fast can I get it and affordable? Um, how many shirts do I need to make so I can buy the shirts for cheaper, um, you know, make more margin on my profits, uh, just learning how can I make the website more customer uh, friendly and user friendly um, before I start offering more aspects. And I'm, you know, kind of just plugging along and chugging along. And then uh, I get an uh, email and a college wants to buy like 300 T-shirts. Mm. Um and so then I had to find a company that could make 300 t-shirts in the right time and help me ship them out. Cause at the time I was doing all the fulfillment. Um, and when it was only, you know, 
you know, 20 to 50 in a month or something, that was fine. But 300 for one order was a, was a lot. And so I've been learning and growing every step of the way. And now we offer more products than just those tees, you know, make jackets and shorts and, you know, I'm having to, having to create things early. Uh, so like right now it's about to be the summertime, but we're designing and creating the products that we're going to sell for the fall and winter of uh, later this year right now and getting them costed out and how, you know, how much are they going to cost us to make them and what are we going to sell them for and trying to plan out our marketing campaigns and all those type of things. Like it has grown a lot in these two years. Hmm. That's crazy. Now, so there's a lot of thought into this really perfecting your craft. I like to hear that. And um, I remember when I met you, you were showing me the Nosotro shirt. Right. And I get that that means we in Spanish, but um, what, when you were kind of deciding the different types of shirts to sell, how to grow this company, why'd you choose um, Nosotros? Um, we want to represent and be a voice for marginalized and oppressed people everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um. I believe that black and brown are the same, that on the slave trades, we all got dropped off in different parts of uh, the Caribbean and uh, Latin countries. Um, I, I, I believe that we're all part of the African diaspora. Um, and even if we weren't, uh, human rights issues, I think should affect and be a concern of all humans and not just people who are part of your cultural tribe as it were. And so you wanted to stand and say uh, with those who might not assume that they are part of something I would care about is like we see you too there. I mean, there are countries like Cuba, Mexico, uh, so many parts of the United States were Mexico um, mm -hmm. before the U.S. showed up. Um, and now we see what's happening to them now where like this movement to build this wall as if there's some type of, you know, harm or threat to us. Uh, I just think it's it's asinine. It's crazy, and I don't want to sit by on the side and only point at issues of people who look like me when there are issues that are happening everywhere. Because in my opinion, that is where the true power is. It's like if a bully is on the schoolyard, you know, picking on, you know, what it looks like or is considered the weaker kids. If all of those kids get together and say we're not taking this anymore and go at the bully, they win most often. Um, but if I just keep it to me, uh, we're, it's a lot weaker of a, a statement, although I think we're powerful. And so I want to gather all of us together, um, during the civil rights movement, Hispanics were a, a large part. There's a whole movement. Well, and you'll see it in September, we have something called Viva La Raza, which is for the people, um, that people who marched with King and marched with X would chant and say, um, and Chicano power. Uh, we plan on doing stuff with uh, Native American brands. Um, there are women who have been being kidnapped and abducted, you know, by the thousands, and no one is saying anything. Just Indigenous women, as as these oil rigs show up to lands and these pipelines show up, like just these women go missing because they're way out in the middle of nowhere, and no one cares um, because it doesn't affect us in in you know these major cities or whatever. And I just I'm not gonna. I'm not going to be quiet about it. And so uh, we picked Nosotros uh, as the informal street version or, or way to say us or we, um, 
just to show the unity and the diversity that we hope to have as a global brand and a global voice for people who are fighting for justice and their right to speak and be powerful um, all over. Mm, I love that. You know, a lot of times, a lot of companies are kind of chasing, trying to become the most inclusive organization. And one of the things that Boss Us were doing, um, we stress a lot of natural hair and professional environments, but kind of um, encouraging and promoting inclusivity in um, everyday life and business um, environments. Because a lot of times we see companies trying to chase like the black dollar or the uh, Latina dollar, but you guys are really an example of what it means to be inclusive. You're not um, chasing some more customers, you're really including people in the struggle saying, or in the movement kind of saying, hey, this is we really we not just kind of black but we we're all together i'm a really stronger i like that and you're right man people you got to hear about it in the news but it's there for like an hour and next day it's gone so i really like that you're um not just stopping one place you're keeping going you're finding um different groups of people cultures um kind of stories to really hone in on i love that yeah i appreciate it mm-hmm. Man, and I know we society is really kind of blowing. It's amazing you said only two years, but um, I know I've been following you guys for a while, and I saw at one point Ebro from Hot 97 is wearing a We Society hoodie. Man, what, yep. what was that like to see him wearing that on his platform? You know, it was, it was incredible, and he bought it. Like, he went on our site, and he brought a bunch of stuff. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and connected with us, uh, connected us to a few people. So major shout out to Ebro. Um, but it's a few, you know, celebrities as it were, influencers who have caught on the vision and, and are supporting. Young Thug has worn our stuff. Lil Keed here in Atlanta. Um, Ebro obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Jadena, uh with oh, his wow. platform and connection to you know both Africa and just he's a global star. Um, and he normally only, you know, he dresses up most often and he put on our hoodie and, and like, let us make a promo code and everything and, and, and sell it and offer it. And it's, uh, mm. I'm just really grateful. Um, because these are not things I sought out. Chris Paul wore, it, uh, before a game and then GQ ended up talking to his stylist. And so they ended up talking about us in GQ magazine and putting our pictures up in GQ magazine, um, of of Chris Paul wearing one of our tees that we designed. And it's just like uh to see the love and support and the way that people um are getting behind it is incredible. And and you just brought something up in terms of like chasing the black dollar. It's like uh I hope and I think that people see that this is something that is real for me and authentic and that I'm not chasing. Uh I'm not trying to chase some trend of you know black owned or black designer or whatever it's like this is really uh something from my soul and i think people are supporting that and i I appreciate the love and want to honor that uh by being and doing the best job that we possibly can um so yeah that was nuts and he was doing an interview with killer mike who's a legend here in atlanta and a legend to me and a, a hero i look up to so just hearing what they were talking about and seeing him wear my hoodie while he did it was, it was great. I loved it. Yeah. I was thinking when I saw that, like, yeah, Killer Mike's probably the best, uh, best time to wear that is when he's on the show. That's, that is yep. 
We're taking a quick break because I wanted to tell you about Inclusion, the company I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So, Inclusion is a tech startup that provides a freelance marketplace and they're building a job board for companies that want to hire diverse talent for remote positions. And they are hosting their first ever happy hour and virtual speed networking event on June 25th from 6 to 9 p.m. This event will allow you to connect with others one-on-one for at least eight minutes, chat about you, the things you're doing, and really get to know um, the other person in the chat room. They also have a nice virtual lounge room where you can really connect with anyone and everyone who joins. And I, I like this event because I think this that now more than ever is the time to take advantage of these virtual events to connect with people from outside of your physical community. So if you're a freelancer, hiring manager, recruiter, business owner, or anyone who's looking for a job right now, this event is for you. Tickets are available now, so click the link. I added one to the description and sign up before the event is sold out. Um, If you're unable to click the link, then you can visit our website, www.bosslocks.org. And um, in the show notes, I'll have a link and more information there, so you can um, sign up if you're interested. Thanks, and back to our show. One thing I want to ask you is um, I saw you kind of documented your trip to Uganda. I don't know when that was, but um, can you tell I me a little bit about summer, that? Trip? I went last summer, and I went mm-hmm. to September before that. Oh, twice. Yeah, yeah. I've gone to Uganda five times. Five times? Wow. Why Uganda? Uh, Well, I've gone to a lot of places in Africa. Not a lot. Not as many as I would like to, but I've gone around. But Uganda, I just developed connections. Uh, When I travel on tour with Lecrae, I speak and raise money for a village in Uganda that we support and that the We Society supports. Um, And so I go to check on them and see how things are going, how the schools are doing, the wells that are being built, how they're being utilized in the communities, the the hospitals. I just go to make sure, because Africa is the most... um, you know, the most charities and the most NGOs in the world and still the most impoverished. And so I don't want to be a part of something that is being harmful, but I think it's being helpful because I'm way over here, you know, uh, in the States, uh, shopping in my grocery stores and buying my Jordans and all this other stuff and raising this money and think because I raised the money um, that somehow I'm, you know, I'm uh, doing a good job. So it's like I want to go and be with my people and build with the people and see and make sure that they're getting the help and the resources and the tools that they need um, uh, and the love that they need. So uh, I'm going to South Africa um, in a couple of weeks for my birthday and I'll be there for two weeks. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. That's incredible. And so with all your travels, what, well, before I ask what I say, I think, um, we're starting to see, at least I'm starting to see a lot more of an African presence, African representation here in America, mostly through music. And one thing I keep hearing is just the kind of the coverage of it really paints like a very negative light of Africans and people living in Africa. And also vice versa, a lot of media coverage in Africa probably paints um, Black people in America in a bad light as well. So having been to Africa so many times, what's something that either you've learned from your travels or something you wish that other people kind of understood? Uh, Specifically about Africa is that it's not all poverty and pot bellies and flies. Um, 
Like, you know what's crazy is they do the same thing in Africa about us. Like the only mm-hmm. images they show about us here in the states is like thugs and we shoot each other and you know um, we're all drug dealers and gangster rappers. Like they don't know about they don't get shown images of us being successful in other ways and being healthy in other ways, and we don't get images of them uh, being successful because if we ever work together, it would be a problem. Um, and so when I go over there, it's like, yes, I go to the bush. I go where people are living in huts. But they, I mean, I had a, a friend of mine who was just in Nigeria talk to a woman who's 134 years old Whoa. living in a village um, because she's eating like natural food from the ground. She doesn't have all of this pollution from all our cars and cell phones. She doesn't have the stress of society and the way society tells us to live and wants us to live. Um and so when I go, it's like, it's that, but then even to the modern aspects, like in Cape Town and places like that, like it's, they're at the same level um, as us. We just would never see it. I mean, the beauty, there are pictures in my phone that I post on my Instagram sometime and I say, there's no filter on this. This is just how it looks. And mm-hmm. you, it, like, you couldn't believe the richness and the depths of the color, um, you know, and, and that's just from nature. That's not even the man-made things and aspects that are beautiful. So when I go, this time I'm going for two and a half weeks and I'm doing everything from swimming with sharks to hiking mountains to doing We Society pop-ups and stores. Um, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to live there at some point. Oh, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out what to do with my family I, I, because uh, the opportunities there are endless. Oh, they just, you just won't know that if you only trust the images that are allowed to get through here. Mm. Swimming with the sharks, man. Good luck with that. That sounds incredible. <laughs> oh, man, That's, I can't wait. Oh, man. That's life-changing. Do you think that, you say your mom is uh, from the Caribbean? She's from the Bahamas, yes. My the grandma's Bahamas? from Jamaica, yeah. I see. Do you think that having that influence kind of created this more of a global mindset for you? Um, probably I've just always, I don't know, I guess so. Yeah. Just knowing that there's more even to black people than just the United States mm-hmm. or African-American. Um, my dad was in the air force. So until I was five years old, so he was always going somewhere, Egypt, Korea. Um, so I always, I always, always wanted to travel. Um, and then I, I started traveling really early i think uh in my grade school my spanish club every two years would take a trip to puerto rico um and you know so i I took spanish from third grade to eighth grade and then in high school um i can't remember where we went but i i had a passport really early and you know even just going to the bahamas to see my mom's family like just that experience just opened me up and so you know, I've gone to Turkey, I've gone to uh, different places in Africa, I've gone to Amsterdam. Uh, and yeah, I just, I love to travel. Um, and I love to uh, be reminded that the way I see the world is not the only way to see the world. Mm. Kind of like your perspective is kind of just your perspective, but there's yeah. others involved. That's well. it. That's why even when I talk about being vegan, like I think it's the best for black bodies, but mm-hmm. people have to find what works for them. One plus three is four. Two plus two is four. 
um both ways you know, get four yeah that's crazy I, I use like i use math like that a lot as well like really there's multiple ways to get to the same goal it's not just the one route right? it isn't which is why we is so important because it opens it up to multiple ideas if my if martin luther king and malcolm x got to have more conversations mm-hmm. um malcolm x said one time you know he showed up to the same city where dr king was giving a speech and they asked him if he was there to make life difficult for Dr. King. And he said, no, I really didn't come to make life difficult. I came to help. If whites saw the alternative being Malcolm X, then maybe they'll listen to him. Um, saying, utilizing my willingness to meet aggression with aggression and my opposition to nonviolence as an answer, if they knew that a man like me existed with an army of people who were willing to fight to the death, maybe that will push them to listen to him and his peaceful solution instead. And I think that that's a genius idea. I think just like in in sports, uh, especially team sports, um, that if everybody tries to be the point guard, we lose. But if everybody plays their role and uses their strengths to their ability to the best of their abilities for the benefit of the team at large, we are much more successful. So if you love basketball, but you can't play, but you can be the coach because you understand basketball at a deep level, then like you be the coach. And if you're seven feet tall and can jump out the gym, it's like, we need you to be centered. You know, um, and then that means the way things look, your expression of your love of the game uh, is going to look different than my day-to-day expression. But combined together and used and utilized together, we become an unstoppable team. Uh, and so I just don't want to fight or have the time to fight with people who see things differently because we need people to see things differently and to share the difference of opinion because we're sharper together if we could figure out a way to harness it and use it to work together. Nice, man. Speaking of together... Understand you started We Society kind of on your own, um, and without investors too, which is impressive. I think a lot of times we always think like, "Oh, we need um, I need this dollar figure before I can start." I mean, you just do this first, but you really could just start. But um, more so, speak on togetherness. How how much have you relied or sought out um, assistance from like a collaboration standpoint? Um, I'm big on collaboration, but dealing with the, like, I need this much to start. I don't believe in, you know, once I get X, I can go. That's Mm -hmm. me. I have friends who have waited for a certain time and they built and saved up and it worked fine for them. But I think that a lot of us use not being in a certain place as a excuse to stay. It's a lot easier to watch the infomercial about P90X than it is to get it and actually start working out, right? Mm -hmm. To just dream of looking the way you want and doing what you want as opposed to actually putting in the work. Because if you try and you fail, then it really is your fault. Um, And we don't want that. We would rather Mm -hmm. be able to say, it's the system, it's the man, it's my parents, it's my school, it's my spouse. It's, um, you know, I didn't have enough. I didn't have this or that or whatever. And it's like, none of that is actually true. you have to know that, you know, mistakes are going to be part of it. Uh, failure, failure is going to be part of it. You start where you start 
but you have everything you need and just be committed to go every day. And in terms of collaboration, we love to collaborate. I believe in collaborating. I don't collaborate with everybody just because of um, timing and trying to not dilute the brand. Uh, mm. Supreme right now is like on everything, but they built their platform first. And so I know more collaborations will be coming, but right now we're very, uh, just very protective of our brand and, and what uh, that would look like. But we are we, and so we want to help as many people and be helped and partner with as many uh, brands as we can. We just want to do it in a safe and healthy way for our organization to have a real shot at being sustainable and lasting a long time. Mm. Nice. So now I want to pivot a little bit. Um, kind of started with the question based on professionalism because kind of what we're striving for is to redefine professionalism, professional standards. Um, we to kind of speak more. Our mission is like we also started out as a way to shine a light on people who are doing great things, professional settings, especially people with uh, luck. So to kind of speak on professional in your life to start off with, what does professionalism mean to you? Okay, so this is a good question. Professionalism to me is, and I hate using the word in the definition, so I'll try my best to clarify, <laughs> but handling things in a professional manner. There is an informal way of conducting yourself and conducting business uh, that you can treat your friends, family, people you're cool with, you know, and then there's a way to treat uh, the masses in a way that is respectful and and uh, courteous to the fact that you are not familiar and do not have that level of like intimacy. And I think that is professionalism. There's also diplomacy, which is a different way, but it's again, it's just it's just a certain cultural expression of manners and interactions that say, I respect you and who you are and what you are. I respect your time. I respect your money. I respect your um, you know, thoughts or appreciation about my company, business, or brand. And I want to express that in a way. Um, and the word for that culture, I believe, is professionalism. So timeliness, um, clear communication, especially when it comes to things like time and money and resource. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's professionalism. Yeah. So not really what you look like, but more of um, how you're acting, especially with acting with other people. Yes, um, because in this society, the people who won and control the culture decide what professionalism looks like uh, on a massive scale. So professionalism, I guess in America, if you ask the general population, would be, you know, dress code. Um, if, for instance, right now I fly on um, United uh, as like on a, a, an employee account. One of the people who work for United is like put me on his account. And I get this email every time I sign up to fly about what the appropriate attire and dress code is because that is the culture that they are making. And so the people who won and control the society get to say what is appropriate and what is not. But if there are areas where I'm from where uh, 
that would not be professional um, and being professional would be jeans and some Timberlands um, as you go to work. Um, for Kobe Bryant or LeBron James, professionalism is a uniform uh, for his team with the team logo on the front and their name on the back and gym shoes. Uh, but if he wore that to a corporate job, they would you know, look down on him. But in the right setting, um, he's dressed exactly right. And so professionalism is, to me, much less about how you dress, but how you act and how you honor the culture of what, where you're either working or what you are building. Mm. Really goes back to what you're saying earlier, kind of about perspectives. And I like what you said, like the people who kind of won or are in charge are kind of um, are setting these standards, but it's really based on their perspective. Right. Interesting. So with all that being said, kind of understanding that, what advice would you give to someone with natural hair who's looking for a job or advance their career? Um, because I'm an entrepreneur, um, it's hard for me. I will say you have to be true to who you are. Mm-hmm. If, if my opinion, if you're going to find peace and joy in this life, um, there's nothing wrong with making compromises for a greater goal later, you know, the best strategists know that sometimes you sacrifice now for true victory later. Mm -hmm. Oprah talks about this with the Me Too movement. One lady said, you know, it's easy for you to say this and to stand like this because you have everything that you need. But if I talked to my bosses like this or demanded this level of respect, I would be fired. And Oprah said, well, yeah, when I first started, I had to take it. When I was in my 20s, I just took it. And in my 30s, I took it a little less. And in my 40s, a little less. But I knew I was building and growing uh, to the point where one day I would be able to say enough and corporations would buckle. Um, So she was playing, you know, a long-term strategy. And so I would just say, you have to know what hills you're willing to die on today and what's important to you right now. Um, I don't think it's right to say that locks are unprofessional in a corporate setting, but there are old antiquated views and ideas about them. And I think um, if you are willing, have the stamina, courage, uh, discipline, joy of fighting those battles, then please do it. If you, um, if you uh, decide that that is not for you right now, then maybe that job that you're looking for is not the right one, um, or you might want to do something different. But if you're going to keep your hair, then you have to decide, like, are you willing to fight and how are you going to fight? Um, I had a friend who went to this school in Chicago where I'm from, and in the student handbook, it was against the rules for us to have braids or locks. Mm. And he... Um, sat before the board of the school and argued academically why what they were doing was both racist and wrong um, and won. And they ended up having to change the student handbook uh, so that students could wear locks. That was a fight he felt like taking up. And he, he, he went through the channels that the school acknowledged as the way to resist and fight back and ended up winning. And so I would say, if you're going to do that at your job, sometimes people aren't necessarily against you. The ideas that are in place are, and people don't know how to change it. And if you can find the way diplomatically um, to help shift the culture of your space, 
to be acknowledged as professional, I feel like there are ways you can figure out to do it. But again, everybody's different. Every situation is different. I'm just giving some examples. Right. Man, I think we give you a couple of different examples. So there, and kind of once again, it back to what you said earlier, there are multiple ways to go about it. Kind of, I like what you said about being true to yourself and you have to find what's true to you. I like that. Nice. Now, um, another question or, or scenario. Did you hear about the high school wrestler, Andrew Johnson, who was... Yeah, I watched it. You watched that? Yeah. Tell, tell me some of your thoughts on that. See, I hated that. <clears throat> I hated that because they play on... You're an individual and you're part of a whole. And so what happens is you, he's a part... He's, wrestling is individual, but it's a team thing as well. Like, all the points stack up. And so if he forfeits this match... He doesn't just affect himself. So he might be willing to deal with the consequences of walking away from this match and, uh, so, so as to not cut his hair. But then he affects all of these people who he has been training with, who he's been calling his brothers, who he's been investing all this time with. And you don't want to let them down, do you? Um, that's one. And then two, because of the abuses and trauma in this world that we've ex experienced and lived under, I think that there's a level of low self-esteem that black males have to fight and wrestle against. Um, and I just can remember, at least for myself, so many times where I was, I needed to stand up and say, you will not treat me like this, or I will not stand for this, but I did not. And I let the person do whatever they said, tears in my eyes or heartbroken or whatever, but I just did not feel safe enough, brave enough, courageous enough to say no when I wanted to. Um, and I look back on some of those moments with uh, shame sometimes or grief. I, I I don't walk around in shame, but I just think about like, man, how low was I? How scared was I to not just say no? Like, hell no, you're not doing this. And so it's so many things that have to be happening in his head and in his heart on top of him trying to figure out how to win this match, mm -hmm. um, you know, and it just was completely foul and wrong and, a, and an example of um, white being right. Um, so these are the rules and the way that these people are interpreting the rules, even though he had been wrestling for some time. And then they're like, we're going to deal with this right now. And it's like, it doesn't give him any type of competitive advantage. It, it's, it literally is no reason for this rule to exist except for the fact that you don't like it. Um, and you get to exert your power. Uh, and it was one of the most disgusting things I have ever seen. Um, you know, it's like uh, we would never ask a Jewish person to remove his yarmulke mm. um, because of the respect that we have. It's like even, even the, the term anti-Semitic as an idea of like saying or believing or expressing anything negative against Jewish people. There is no term of that for uh, African-Americans. There's nothing. Um, hmm. I've never thought about that. You are absolutely right. Yeah. There's no term at all. And so they could just say like, man, you gotta cut your hair right now. Uh, and I feel like, man, his coach should have stepped in, his parents, his teacher, himself, but all of us are conditioned to, you know. Um, 
kind of watch as trauma happens to us and then cry about it later. And that's not shots at them. I, I have no idea what they were feeling or what they were thinking. Again, there's so many things he's having to consider. I just, this is how I felt viewing it is that if we were in, if we were in a healthy space, somebody would have stepped up and said, no, you know, the team would have had his back and said, we'll all lose then y'all are not going to treat him like this. Um, but everybody felt like he had to take it uh, for the sake of the match. And it's just, it bothered, it bothered me deeply. Mm. Have you ever been faced with a kind of an ultimatum like that regarding your hair? Uh, oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. The same school I was talking about uh, that my friend Micah went to Moody is a Bible school in Chicago. I was trying to go the year before and the handbook said I couldn't have locks or braids and I had locks at the time. And you know, it was like, cut your hair so you can go here. And again, I'm a devout, at the time I'm devout, this is like what I want to do with my life. And I thought about it and I was just like, no, I'm not cutting my hair so I can go to this school. Um, I'm just not going to do it. I found some level of respect then. And, and I didn't feel like I needed to fight with the school to prove some point. I just was like, no, thank you. I'll do something else then. Um, I ended up eventually cutting my hair because the church was on me so hard. So I cut my hair in 2008. So this is the second time I'm growing locks. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been faced with an ultimatum like that twice. One time I stood and and loved myself. And the other time I decided to love something else more than I love myself. And that was not the right decision. Oh, no? Uh-uh. Mm. But that's okay. You know, you live and you learn. Yeah, that's a lesson for you now. Yeah, something I fall back on. Now you have something to stand. Like, I I've done that before. No more. Nice. So you said you cut it in 2008? Yeah, I grew, I was growing my locks. I started in two, late 2006 and grew it to 2008 um, and then cut it in 2008 and, and it stayed cut until 2016. Oh, gotcha. So you're coming right back with it. Nice. Around the same time you started We Society, huh? Or a little before. Correct. <laughs> nice. Interesting. So how, for you, now the second go around, do you consider your hair more of a hairstyle or a lifestyle? Uh, a lifestyle. I feel like it's my antenna and I don't anticipate cutting it anytime soon. I read about the natives, how they grow their hair and they feel like it helps them tune in uh, both naturally and spiritually. I definitely love, uh, I definitely love being black, um, and being as black as possible when I walk into spaces, uh, and because of my ability to code switch, because of my ability, you know, my proximity to white culture, um, or dominant culture, being able to speak the language, but walking in with a name like Kareem with a shaved head and, and locks on top, uh, and a company, uh, that is black led, but about everybody and then making them have to, you know, alter themselves to accommodate, you know, me in the space that I feel comfortable as opposed to me being the one continually trying to bend and, and fit in mm -hmm. to that space. Um, I'm in a welcoming space. I'm not about making people feel un uncomfortable, but I'm just saying, I'm going to be myself. Uh, and if you can, thrive and live within that space of me being myself, then we can work. And if not, then this is not for you. And, you know, you need to go find somebody else. 
and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed? I think sometimes it's kind of the same reaction, but have you noticed a difference between how people perceive you as a black man versus perceiving you as a black man with locks? Say the question again. Like, have you noticed how people kind of perceive you? Like, like you know, like if you're talking to someone on the phone at versus when they first meet you and like, oh, shoot, it's a black guy. But then um, is there a difference between that reaction towards you being black or your hair? Um, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have not, I try not to think about those things. I'm not saying I do it great, but I try not to, uh, pay attention to if somebody is treating me differently. I, um, I'm trying to figure out a way to say it. Uh, when I go into a space, any space, and I think, Oh, they're going to think this about me for whatever reason, because I'm short, because I'm black, because I have locks, because I don't have money or because I do, uh, because I'm not married or, you know, whatever it is, I, I believe that I'm going to manifest whatever I think about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I try to spend most of my time thinking about what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to build and caring less about people's responses or reaction to it. And whoever's supposed to be with me over time, time will tell, Um, you know, and people will show me by their actions and by uh, much more than what they say. And so if people are reacting to the fact that I have locks and they weren't expecting that or whatever, it's just not something I notice very much anymore. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just my way of existing in the world is I'm, I'm really just focused on myself. Um, and the people that I care about, and I don't think about, you know, how how are they responding? Are they are comfortable, or I, I just I don't care. Um, gotcha. You know, I'm gonna do what I do. I'm gonna dance to my song. I'm gonna build what I need to build. And if it if if it helps you, great. And if it doesn't, you know, great. Man, I like that answer too. And um, to kind of jump back. You mentioned something about like uh, code switching. How um how important is kind of the ability to do that in your line of work? You said what gave me the ability to do that? Or like how important is it? Oh, I, uh, I think it's important, but like I think it's really important for me because that's what I do. I I, I you know know how to speak to people's spiritual side. I know how to speak in a language that the dominant culture understands, but I also, you know, I was bused from my neighborhood to a magnet, excuse me, a magnet school in Chicago. So I know how to talk to the highly educated Negro, as it were, and the street language. In the miseducation of the Negro, it talks about how the more educated you become, the more separate from your people you become because they don't know how to understand you. And I feel like, you know, if you watch a show like The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that Belair, that was the whole point. It's like Carlton and Will were so different, mm-hmm. um, at least in their communication styles. But when it really got down to it, they all they both wanted the same thing. And so I think if I'm going to say something like "we," it's important for me to speak multiple languages. Uh, but then I also find tremendous, tremendous value in people who speak their language, and that's it. And if you want, and and they're so powerful and so bold and loving of themselves and courageous 
that everybody comes and follows them. Jay-Z talks about that all the time. Like somehow he spoke his street language the whole time, but got pop culture to come and follow him and be with him. And I think uh, knowing yourself. So for me, code switching comes kind of naturally because of my nurturing and where I'm from. And it's important to me, but I don't think it's like supremely important that everybody has to have the ability. I think you have to know who you are and what languages you speak and then just invest in those. If I, I think that answer makes sense. It yes. felt like it made sense. It definitely did. Yeah, you made sense kind of like for you personally. It's not that you have to co-switch, but you want to be able to communicate with different types of people. But that's just the way that you found that works for what you're working towards. Correct. Nice. Okay, nice. Yeah, that, and once again, it speaks back to being true to yourself and what works best for you. Love that. Um, kind of jump back into hair. What? Let's go around. What are some of your hair care routines? Um, I use black seed oil. Black seed. Um, yep. Huh. I use black seed oil on my scalp and in my hair. Um, I get it uh, washed. At least once a month, I have I have two people I use. One guy here in Atlanta, he both cuts my hair. Uh, he's a both a barber and a loctician, so he, he twists it, styles it, and you know gives me my fade and lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. And then I have another person named Triple T who just twists and does a style. Um, so I wash it in natural products, wash conditioner. Um, and I keep my scalp oiled as best as I can with black seed oil, um, and different, uh, natural, uh, oils that people give me on the market, but I still like black seed oil the best. Um, and that's it. I don't have like a super deep regimen. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that sounds pretty like, I mean, that's it right there. I don't think it always has to be deep, but black seed oil, washing it once a month. Yeah. Different stylists too. That's pretty cool. What message would you like to give to others about natural hair? Um, it it interests me how often we have to have a whole black is beautiful movement. Mm. Like how different the beauty standards have been set up here that it seems like every generation has to be reminded or taught that the way your hair grows out of your head um, is beautiful and attractive and good for you. Um, And again, you know, if you're a woman and you like to switch it up and you do your wigs and your weaves, it's like, do your thing. I'm not making a judgment on that. I am, however, challenging the idea that your natural hair or my natural hair is not also beautiful mm-hmm. that like the idea of i need to alter myself in some way to attain this beauty i feel like is a harmful and a negative thought process and i just want to encourage as many people as possible to just embrace themselves um how you came out the womb how you uh, you know like like i said this is the way your hair grows out of your body just naturally like just kinky and whatever and the idea that you need to um dramatically alter it to look more like dominant society 
to be beautiful is not good to me. I think that that's a, a, a bad way to think or look about it. And so having natural hair is easier um, to exist for me. Uh, it absorbs the energy from the sun, you know, protects me when I'm outside. Uh, I feel good. Um, I'm not in a chair every week and a half, two weeks, you know, cutting it all off. Like I said, I feel like it's my antenna. It helps me tune in. Um, you know, I love it. Nice. Man, thank you for sharing, I and mean, thanks for coming today. Um, one last, actually, a couple of questions. I missed something a little earlier. Um, so, I saw for We Society, you guys just launched a podcast. Yes. And so, what I think is interesting, and why I'm glad I have you on today, is just because um, that's not something you generally see with, um, whether it's clothing companies, just companies in general, kind of branching off into different sections. So, what... What led you to starting a podcast? Um, I just think communication is important. And there are more people out there like me um, who are constantly looking for inspiration, who are taking matters into their own hands, their life into their own hands, trying to be a benefit and asset to society and to themselves and to their families. And I wanted to um, use my connections, use you know, as I run into people who are on that wave to give a platform to just share uh, what um, being the one looks like. Because again, it's different for different people, even though some of the themes are going to be the same. Uh, and I just thought a podcast was a great way to organize and express those ideas and to get people around a common you know, theme or cause who are going to share different stories and different obstacles and different things they've overcome uh, but all, and you know, the library is all in the same place. Mm-hmm. I, I think you made a wise decision. I feel like podcasts, they're not new, but they're gaining a whole new type of wave of energy. I think they, it is something yep. that's kind of timeless I, as well. It was kind of great. I agree. Great just starting that. And another question, you mentioned Lecrae earlier, and it just dawned on me that you probably talked about the artist Lecrae. Yeah. How did that relationship begin for you or come about? Uh, well, he's been on, he was on both of my albums. He's been a friend of mine for about 11 years. Um, yeah, we, uh, he knew me before I was married. He knew me after I was married. He knew, we've just known each other for a while. Um, and so uh, even with all my changes and ideas and development, like we're still friends and he's been a good mentor and, and, uh, somebody who's helped encourage me when I was down, and I hope I do the same um, for him. That's incredible. I've heard nothing but good things about Lecrae, and it's interesting that he's been able to kind of keep... I feel like with music, especially when it comes to Christian rap, it must be hard to kind of stay, or I would think it would be hard to stay true to your style of music, but um, then I start to see, like, he just kind of popped off, and his album was very big. Then Chance the Rapper came out with his... Um, covering book a lot more artists are gravitating more towards faith and everything yeah very cool so um it was back to we society what's next for you and we society um you know right now i'm just trying to get to a place where we um uh where we uh just create products in a efficient and timely manner that help represent and speak 
you know, for our people. So as they wear their clothes, it's being good to the environment, it's being good to society, and it's articulating and affirming the heart and the mission of the brand. And we're just going to be as good at building a sustainable business as we can um, and servicing the people and giving money and resources to the people. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. And by 2020, I would love to have, you know, staff and things like that. And so we'll see uh, what happens. But I just right now we're just trying to build a successful, sustainable business that can give opportunities to people that might not have the opportunities now to design, to do marketing, to share um, in a real way. And that's all we got right now. Nice. Very nice. Man, so everyone go, if you like what you heard today, man, go follow We Society. Check out WeSociety.co. Get a nice shirt. Um, where else can they find you and uh, We Society? Oh, uh, yeah, WeSociety.co on the website. Also on Instagram are the two best places to check us out. WeSociety.co at WeSociety.co on IG um, and at WeSociety underscore co on Twitter. Nice, nice. And how about the podcast? Check out the podcast. Uh, put in We Society in the podcast or Kareem Manuel and we'll come right up. Also, it's in the link in our bio on IG. Um, and yeah, please check that out. Like, comment, subscribe. Uh, we hope you guys love it. Thank you all for listening to Boss Locks, a show that is redefining professionalism. And before I let you go, um, I want to let you know that as of today, Kareem is actually looking for volunteers to join his team. So if you like today's episode and would like to help grow we society please check him out um, i know he's very active on instagram but you could also visit his website and reach out through the contact page just to see um how you can best help him i know he's looking for um a diverse set of skills so you may not think that you can help out but you never really know how you can help or connect him to someone who can help so um yes please check him out and also Check the links in the description where we'll have a link to his Instagram but and other in his website as well. But we'll also have links to the inclusion networking event that's happening on June 25th. So you can go to the description or our website, www.bosslocks.org to find the show notes and links to our newsletter and more. Once again, that is bosslocks.org, which is B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S.org. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please go find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Check us out on social media. So basically, you can be a part of the community and find out when we drop a new episode. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.